You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Tukhi Tamir, Imam Farid Ahmed, myself, Farid Ahmed. The uh, time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's uh, Friday, the 25th of November, 2022. Uh, we have, as always, a very packed program uh, on this broadcast uh, for the breakfast show. Uh, and uh, before I give you a rundown, let me just uh, inform you about uh, the number to dial if you want to share any of your thoughts during the course of this broadcast. Um, the number is 208 uh, if you dial that number, our uh, technicians will be uh, more than happy to uh, put you through uh, to be able to air your views on any of the um, dis- any of the topics we may be covering. Uh, you can also tweet us. Uh, the Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. In a few minutes' time, we'll begin with a rundown of the weather before going on to examine some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days. Uh, yeah, and uh, those uh, familiar with the show will know that we have two main topics we deal with. Uh, the first uh, topic uh, that we're going to address, the first main topic that we're going to address, is uh, regarding the holy personage of uh, uh, someone revealed by millions of uh, Sikhs. The topic is Life of Guru Nanak. Uh, that is the title of the first topic. And uh, very appropriate because the Sikh community has celebrated the um, festival of Guru Nanak Jayanti on 8th November, so uh, we'll be covering maybe uh, some aspect of it. Um, we spoke to Harinder Singh on the subject earlier. Harinder uh, is the senior fellow of the Sikh uh, Research Institute, uh, so we'll be sharing what he had to say in this part of the program. That's between 7.30 and 8.15. Uh, and uh, those who are interested in this uh, item, uh, I advise them to make sure that they are uh, tuned in during that particular slot. Uh, and if you want to share your thoughts, then please do ring 0208-687-7878 or uh, use the Twitter handle, uh, our Twitter handle being Voice of Islam UK. Um, the second main topic is uh, about, I suppose, uh, the poppy appeal and Remembrance Day in particular. Uh, members of the community, um, of the Amdi Muslim community, are very active in this particular respect uh, and uh, raise uh, thousands, if not uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, for this cause. Uh, the title of the subject that we are going to be addressing is, is quite simply Remembrance Day 2022, and we'll be de- addressing this from about uh, 8.15 to 9 o'clock, so after the 8 o'clock news. So uh, our lines will be open to receive your calls and there'll be plenty of time to share your thoughts with the rest of the listeners because we don't have uh, a specialist uh, expert uh, that will be joining us so you can fill in that uh, gap and become our specialist uh, expert uh, to share your views on this particular item, which is Remembrance Day. So clearly lots to cover, lots to do, and as always, we'll have a full review of the Islamic angle from both our Imams, Imam Tukit and Weed and Imam Freedamad. So I've said enough, and uh, I think, uh, Imam Freedamad, are you ready for your... Um, as are you ready for um, the weather? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So today is going to be... It will be bright and breezy, 
day for many western areas will will see odd showers at times and there will be frequent heavy showers from northern scotland lengthy sunny spells elsewhere tonight cloud will thicken through the evening from the west but there will be a plenty of clear spells across eastern and southern england overnight a few showers are likely in the northern in the northwest so well it's going to be rainy day again oh wet okay umbrella weather hmm mamfred you were asking me you know during uh, when we were waiting for um, the start of this program about uh, the world cup oh yeah the thoughts on it there been lots of upsets in this mm-hmm. world cup so the mm-hmm. first up was the most recent the germany japan then argentina defeated by saudi arabia mm. so these two and saudi arabia i've heard that they declared a uh, public holiday mm. in yes. celebration of this oh yes and i was yes. watching a video as well where someone broke their broke the door oh okay <laughs> yeah yes but in the uh, celebration yeah yeah uh, celebration right. so, so things uh, are going crazy uh-huh. and uh, um which which team to you stands out as far as you concerned now that you've watched all the teams because i think all the first round matches have taken place uh the, f- the i mean sorry the all the teams have played i think all the teams have played yeah. once yeah. so is there any team that's caught your eye that you think uh Mm. I know Argentina were one of the favorites but um, <laughs> yeah that's the thing I don't know who's the favorite now cuz uh, uh-huh. it's been all topsy turvy okay right anyway uh, these uh, finals were set uh, oh I have to turn that down apologies um yes so the uh, uh, world cup uh, finals were set on their way last sunday with qatar the host kicking off with ecuador and they lost 2-0 but uh, what was hardening to see was the uh, most popular sporting occasion being hosted in a muslim country i think it's for the very first time and the opening ceremony dropped shirk from promoting its islamic uh, credentials uh, quoting the holy quranic verse from uh, chapter 49 verse 14 which reads o mankind we have created you from male and female and we have made tribes uh, and sub tribes that you may know one another um and it was uh, probably the very first time a verse from the holy quran was recited uh, at such an occasion and uh, the selection of the verse was quite fitting because what the world cup was hoping to achieve or intending to achieve or one of its aspirations was unity among the peoples of the world through the medium of what is described as a beautiful game um and um, during the course of the opening ceremony Uh, various statements were made uh, one of them being that we all gather here in one big tribe uh, how can so many countries languages and cultures come together if only one way is accepted uh, what that is trying to allude to is that there may be differences but then there are certain things that we can all share and come together upon and another statement that was made that football united nations and their love for the beautiful game what brings together nations also brings together communities so it was a very welcoming uniting uh, welcome from uh, fifa and the hosts and into oh, and was put into sharp relief by some who saw the occasion differently uh, seven european nations wanted to use the occasion to express differences and air the criticism of the arab nation 
for not subscribing to its uh, held views on morality and standards. Their request to wear armbands was met with terse response from the uh, from FIFA. Anyone wearing an unauthorized armband were, was going to be booked. And if uh, the uh, act persists, then uh, they were going to be booked again, which meant that um, they would be sending it off even before the start of the game. So this caused the seven nations that uh, were creating a fuss over this uh, to back down. Uh, earlier, uh, FIFA, uh, I don't know what it is, FIFA president, isn't it? Gianni Infantino lambasted uh, those nations for their hypocrisy, saying they were European nations, seven European nations. He says that I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons to people. And uh, when the BBC uh, refused to air the opening ceremony in protest, uh, Piers Morgan uh, was incandescent. He tweeted, outrageously disrespectful, disrespectful to Qatar that the BBC didn't broadcast the World Cup opening ceremony and instead put out more virtue signaling guff about how awful it is. If they're not appalled, they should bring home their vast army of employees and spare us this absurd hypocrisy. And he added, where was all the BBC moral outrage at the, uh, the World Cup in Russia? And will you be doing it at the next one in the United States re regarding guns, abortion, etc.? Or is it just Arab countries and their culture that trouble you? As far as the football is concerned, like Imam Farid has said, that uh, the big shock was uh, the defeat of uh, Argentina, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Despite the fact that they had Messi. Although Messi did score, didn't he? He scored yeah, the, well, it's yes, not the penalty. It's but it's not the kind of goal that you would see. It's an player team, not just one man. So, uh, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. And uh, Germany uh, is also lost, and yeah, Germany are going to have their chances are slim. And they sl yeah. yes, because they have to beat Spain, and Spain is uh, not going to be an easy, yeah, not gonna be easy, uh, easy team to beat. Um, so it looks like Germany may well they may they may surprise us, yeah, that they, they have in the past. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm many. I know that there are many boys that uh, graduate from Jamia who are very uh, avid fans of Germany. You, you have you sensed a de depressed mood among them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, uh, love, love never dies. That, that's all I have to say. <laughs> right. the, the, the passion and the love, uh, it doesn't no, no, fade no, no, away. Yeah, yeah. No matter how much you try to wash it off, <laughs> it will always <laughs> remain so. They'll find a way. Uh, right. But uh, but we you know the the uh, UK fans we thoroughly that's why we thoroughly loved the match between um, Argentina and Saudi Arabia mm. and uh, I mean it, it's it's good to uh, just you know uh, have a bit of fun amongst amongst your amongst mm. your friends so mm. uh, th that's all it is to be honest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one thing as well um, with regards to <coughs> With regards to the World Cup, um, one of uh, one of the England players, uh, Eric Dyer, he also commented on some of the rules and regulations um, on 
on on on some of the bans uh, on the World Cup, and he said in a in a news conference, he said that alcohol isn't needed to create atmosphere after FIFA they announced a last minute alcohol ban as well for mm. um, World Cup stadiums and uh, so just a little overview about this FIFA changed its policy two days before the tournament kicks off in Qatar um, and alcohol was set to be served in uh, select areas within the stadium despite itself uh, being strictly controlled in the Muslim country um, and uh, the football player he said on Saturday that I'd like to think that you can enjoy yourself with or without alcohol and he further said that it, it's up to us as a team and every team in the tournament to bring great football exciting football and that that's what it's going to create a great atmosphere in the stadium uh, and people in corporate areas of the stadium at the tournament will still be able to purchase alcohol. The World Cup starts on Sunday when uh, hosts Qatar, they will play Ecuador. So, I mean, th this is a old news item, but uh, within the news item, uh, it's a statement from one of the football players. And he has said that, you know, well, uh, there's no need for uh, mm. you know, people having an issue with alcohol. You know, you can still enjoy a game without it and uh, you know this is a particular topic that we've covered many times here on the voice of islam radio station alcohol is consumptions and what does islam say on alcohol and simply put uh, alcohol itself it is uh, known as the um umul khabais by the holy prophet peace be upon him the mother of e all evils mm. i mean uh, you know you have so many cases of drink driving so many cases of domestic abuse within families um, due to the intoxication of alcohol you know just figures speak for itself that you know alcohol itself uh, under intoxication it can lead to many uh, problems within the society um, and and hence you know the early prophet peace be upon him he, he categorized alcohol as the umul khabais that it is the mother of all evils um, and the Holy Quran itself refers to alcohol as khamar mm. and uh, uh, the if you look at if we look at the root word of khamar uh, the uh, Arabic lexicon it says that uh, what it it actually uh, impairs your decisions the, it's a, it is an intoxicant where your decision-making skills are not 100%. It alters your decision-making skills. So, I mean, there's something on Voice of Islam we've said many a times, but, uh, uh, you know, it just goes to show that uh, even even a game, you know, you can, you can still enjoy it as put by one of the football players. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great platform to mention the Islamic mm. perspective on our call as well. Imam Fridhi, if you want to add anything on this as well, uh, by mm. all means. No, I think you've said what you wanted to say, so yeah. But you know, Imam Thakir, the, uh, the reality is that uh, the feedback that uh, we are currently getting from those spectators that uh, have gone to uh, Qatar and uh, watching and, uh, mm. <coughs> the, the games are mm. saying that the atmosphere is so much, so much better mm. uh, because alcohol is restricted. So the violence and the un unruly behavior that you tend to get after people have consumed mm. uh, the alcohol because as you said it impairs your decision making yes. 
Uh, it does, and it uh, causes you to do things that you would not other otherwise want to do. So that's already having a positive effect, the fact that it is restricted. Mm. And uh, the other point I think that has to be made is also that uh, being a Muslim country, uh, they have uh, proved to be excellent hosts, despite the fact that alcohol would otherwise be forbidden. They have at least, you know, opened their hearts mm. and, uh, and been sensitive to the um, to what w- would be expected by those who consume alcohol, and made you know allowances for that. Mm. So that they have uh, the organisers, uh, the hosts, have to be appreciated for what they have done, you know, and not be just criticised for holding views that perhaps we share, we or the establishment in this country have mm. but are not shared with uh, by 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 them and we should not um, you know ambass them for it or criticize them for un, un um, ad infinitum uh, for that absolutely look at the positive side absolutely so um, anyway is there anything else uh, what so yeah what team impressed you then uh japan <laughs> really <laughs> Okay, so Brazil yesterday didn't impress you at all. Uh, I think the second half was very, uh, to, to very be, impressive. To be fair, um, I, I really, um, I really liked the way England played against Iran. Okay, um, you know they they scored some great goals, uh-huh. um, and they've started off really well. And we do hope that you know they continue that momentum. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's always uh, good seeing England play, and even in the Euros, uh, you know, we got to the finals mm. uh, with with our with our manager. Yeah, it was heartbreaking mm. losing the finals. Yeah, so uh, very very hopeful about England. <laughs> okay, and and what about yourself, brother? Will you? No, no, I was I was I was impressed by uh, by uh, Germany. No, by Brazil yesterday. Oh, okay. In the yeah. second half, I, I yeah, thought they played exceptionally well. Too good. Are, are um, you also a German supporter? <laughs> <laughs> I have no links with Germany as such. Yeah, That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm a Pakistan. I, yes, I do have. Uh, but they're not in the World Cup. Uh, Pakistan isn't. I, I actually want Saudi Arabia to do well as well because uh, it's a Muslim country, and it was it was really really nice. Uh, yeah, nice to see them grow. Yeah, yeah. S- see them win. So yeah, so we've got a c- we've got a text from um, KB. You know who that is? Oh um, yeah, he's, 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 he's talking about Japan being very good ge- uh, good guests <laughs> in uh, clearing up uh, after the game. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing as well. So I saw some of the people cleaning up the stadium after this. Great gesture from Japanese. Yes, they gesture. always do that, I've heard. Yes, I think it's something that European countries should learn from. Yeah, exactly. Really, you know, very positive thing. Yeah, we should learn from that. Yes. All right. Yeah. Right. Um, um, over to um, um, other news. Um, the Ansar. Yes. Body that I'm in yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You're too young to be part of, and I'm yeah. too old, <laughs> and I am a part of. I am. Would you like to? Uh, yes. Yes, of that? course. Uh, so, as our listeners know, that uh, we not only do we cover news which is happening around the world, but we also go go through some of the news items with regards to the Amdiya Muslim community as well. And on the 13th of November, the world head of the Amdiya Muslim community, His Holiness Azam Azam Suramadi, held a virtual online meeting with members of the Amdiya Muslim Elderly Auxiliary, uh, Elders Auxiliary uh, Organization from Switzerland. 
um, and His Holiness he presided the meeting from MTS Studios uh, while the the members uh, they joined the meeting virtually from the Nur Mosque in Switzerland and following a formal session which began with the recitation of the Holy Quran members uh, they had the opportunity to ask His Holiness a range of questions regarding their faith and contemporary issues and one of the attendees mentioned that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is spreading rapidly and asked His Holiness that which country would be the first to become Ahmadiyya Muslim and how the country would be governed. So that's a very interesting question and His Holiness's reply to this was that it is the blessing of God Almighty that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is spreading around the world and God Almighty knows that which country would first accept the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Even if it is a small country, we certainly wish that majority of the people uh, of a country uh, join the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, may Allah the Almighty enable our missionaries and those who take the message of Ahmadiyya Muslim community to the people around the world that they spread its peaceful message, people's hearts open up to its truth so that they accept the promised Messiah peace be upon him and enter the fold of Islam under the flag of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessing be upon him and I certainly do not know which country that shall be and what what will take place only Allah knows the unseen so replying to the question on how the country uh, will be governed uh, he said that the system of governance will continue to run as it is and Khilafat will not become a monarchy nor will it run a system of governance similar to that of the Khilafat Rashta. The Khilafat is the Khilafate is going to remain separate and secular governance will be running independently. This is what the Holy Quran points to as well and in the Surah Hujrat of the Holy Quran Allah the Almighty states that when two Muslim parties are at conflict with each other you should make peace between them with justice and that those governments that bring about peace they should then not uh, restore to any revengeance or injustice so what this means is that there will be numerous Muslim governments and each one will be managing their own affairs and when it comes to the system that is Islamic and where there is there are Islamic rulings and on matters of obedience to uh, to Khilafat and in affairs of spirituality those countries will turn to the Khalifa of the time for his advice and another questionnaire uh, asked His Holiness about his envisions the Russia and Ukraine war may spread to other countries and how the message of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community will spread after a world war and His Holiness he replied and he said that what we currently see is a beginning of the war and to presume that Russia has vacated a city and thus Russia has been defeated is not correct even Ukraine has warned against making such assumptions and that is only temporary it could be even be a strategic move from Russia so to think that now Russia will withdraw from other places is not wise the war is spreading and blocks will be formed and in fact they are forming already Iran and Russia are increasing their alliance China and Russia are also increasing their relations so blocks are forming and the issue of South Korea and North Korea is flaring too so it, it is the tension of so the so it is the tension in Taiwan so the the 
so the the way the affairs around the world are developing they are becoming increasingly dangerous so to say that one city has been vacated and so the situation is improving and the war might come to a stop and people may come to their senses is not correct the apparent circumstances show that this war is going to spread only uh, spread and only allah knows how many years it will take and furthermore his holiness uh, he also stated that we when we look at the first two world wars that took place it was not the case that a world war began from the first day of conflict initially some blocks were formed and then they changed whilst the war continued raging and germany and russia were in one situation and later that changed in the second world war so a similar situation can occur again i have been warning repeatedly and if they do not pay heed and do not turn to god and people do not come to their senses then their situation will worsen and allah the almighty has mentioned in the holy quran that the prophecies concerning warnings can be averted if people pay heed and if people amend their ways and they turn to god and use their intellect in the right way to serve mankind and follow the commands of allah the almighty then they will save themselves they will certainly uh they will certainly then have a realization that we were protected because of this reason and the people of the prophet of uh, of Yunus peace be upon him uh, was saved because of the fact that they cried and willed to God and amended their ways and furthermore his holiness added that so it will be the responsibility of the amdi muslim community that we increase our efforts in propagating the truth and peaceful message of islam and that we should tell the people that they were saved from calamity because they sought forgiveness and in doing so they would have fulfilled one aspect of their responsibilities which is to seek forgiveness but if they see if they wish to truly save themselves in the long run then they should turn to the imam of the age and accept the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and form a living relationship with god almighty and will give them the true salvation otherwise they will re- repeatedly find themselves in the same situation and disorder and wars will continue to rage so that will be the time to preach the message of islam otherwise this time uh, this present war seems as though it will spread if they do not mend their ways whether it is within a year or a few years only allah knows best so that is uh one um, very comprehensive answer his holiness gave uh to to this question between the envisions the uh, russia and ukraine war uh so that that was a very elaborate na- answer his holiness gave to that and if you do want to uh find out more on this you can go on pressmedia and uh, read more on this and also you can tune into mtn news as well which also uh, features snippets of the virtual sittings as holiness had has with the members of the amdi community around the world so thank mm, you for no, thank you um and another um, aspect uh, or another um activity that uh, the elders were able to engage in and uh, another achievement that they were able to make was um, under the guidance of his holiness they were able to uh, inaugurate an institute in um, in Africa in Burkina Faso the the Masrur Eye Institute this was earlier this week uh, and the inauguration was addressed by the former president of the uh, country 
and also by the current um, head, uh, the UK head of uh, the Elders Association, Southern and Saudi UK, um, Dr. Ijaz Rahman. Uh, also present were health minister and uh, um, other officials. And uh, this is in many ways a unique step as far as um, uh, the work of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is concerned in that uh, an auxiliary organization of uh, a country uh, has been charged the responsibility by His Holiness to not only fund and establish uh, as an institute of this kind, but also to be responsible for running it as well. And uh, so this is uh, um, a first step of something that is uh, a remarkable achievement by uh, the UK elders. Uh, the uh, facility uh, hosts state-of-the-art equipment uh, and facilities, and it is going to be staffed and run by uh, the elders, I don't know how they get on, but uh, that is the task that is bef uh, before them. Um, and it just um, is um, another uh, way in which uh, the community, uh, through its various uh, various uh, organizations, is seeking to uh, alleviate the suffering of uh, those who are uh, in need and uh, another way in which it is trying to promote uh, peace and tranquility among in the rest of the world, as well as uh, warning uh, the world as His Holiness has continued to do, uh, so that it can avert the disaster that uh, it is facing in terms of um, uh, global conflict. So that's one piece of news. Uh, we've already run by about three minutes, but I don't think that will uh, uh, disturb uh, Imam Farid willing to go with introducing the first of our main topics, which is about uh, uh, holy man. Ah, yeah, so the topic today we have is Guru Nanak, and uh, the, the recently celebrated a festival called Guru Nanak Jayanti, and it's celebrated every year in on the full moon date of Kartik, mo Kartik month. This year it will be celebrated on November 8th. The birth anniversary is very special for the followers of Sikhism. This birth anniversary is very special for the followers of Sikhism. For this reason, it is also known as the Guru Purab or Prakash Parv because on this day, Guru Nanak Dev was born and he was born on the day of Karthik Pur Purnima well, forgive me for the wrong you can say pronunciation this is why on this day various programs along with the Kirtan are organized in every corner of the country and even abroad as well so great thank you so much for that uh, we also did uh, speak with Harinder Singh um, and uh, brother Harinder Singh he serves as the senior fellow and uh, research and policy at the Sikh Research Institute. Uh, he's the he co-founded the Sikh Research Institute and the Punjab Digital Library, and he organized the Free Akal uh, Takht movement. Um, and he envisioned the core and uh, 
Singh Academy. So uh, without further ado, we do want to um, listen to this uh, recording that we conducted with him. So let's listen in. So we are very pleased to have with us Mr. Harinder Singh. Um, and he serves as the Senior Fellow Research and Policy at the Sikh Research Institute. Um, and also, he co-founded the Sikh Research Institute and the Punjab Digital Library, organized the free Akal Takht movement. Thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. My pleasure, Mr. Ahmed. Now, we know that November is a very significant uh, month uh, in the calendar for the Sikh community. I wanted to ask, please can you give us some insight to the early life of Guru Nanak? Sure. So the first part of his life, uh, he uh, the first 30 years, if I may call it that, 1469 to 1499, is that when he's born, what's happening in his family, so his elder sister, who was named Bebe Nanki, Bebe means elder sister, he had an incredibly close relationship with her. In fact, she is the one who is also named like Nanak with an I at the end. But she's the one who uh, first realized the divinity of Guru Nanak, that there was something special going on. He had an incredibly close relationship with his mother, Mata Tripta, and his father, Mata Kalu, who was more worried about, as you can imagine, what the teenager sons are up to in terms of getting him the, the right job or vocation. Uh, in those days, the marriages happened at a quite early age. Uh, so his wife was named Mata Sulakhani. He had an incredibly uh, tight relationship with her such that he was able to start his journeys. And he did have two sons, Sri Chand and Lakhmi Das, uh, who eventually actually both rebelled against him and he uh, still maintained a very personal uh, relationship with it. So that's at the family level. The town he was born in, Today it's called Nankana Sahib, which is in the Punjab, West Punjab, which is on the Pakistan side. And the local ruler, his name is Rai Bular. He's a local chief. And the relationship he has with the local chief while he is growing up in the town is incredible as well. They have conversations, they have meals together. He eventually ends up assigning many things from jobs to lands and other things in the name of Guru Nanak as well. Uh, at the time, it was called Rai Poidi Talwandi. Today, it's called Nankana Saab. So Nankana Saab gets on the world map uh, because the town was founded in the name of the local rulers, and Guru Nanak is having incredible conversations with them. At the same time, I'll mention two other things, that while he's growing up, he has various teachers, you know, people who teach languages, math, religion. So most of them are pundits and kazis, and he... Pandits are coming primarily from the Hindu background. Qazis are coming from the Muslim background. So his conversations are not just about the religions and languages, including Arabic and Sanskrit, but they're also very reflective. So the, uh, basically today what we call not just what and how questions, but lots of why questions and imaginative questions. And lastly, I do want to mention Pai Mardana, who ends up becoming, he, they grow up in the same town. They become incredibly good friends uh, to the level, well, Pai Mardana, Pai literally means brother, that's what Sikhs lovingly call him, who was of a Muslim background, he becomes his companion in all his journeys. So he's the friend, he is the friend of 
uh, Guru Nanak. So this is his early childhood where relationships at home are pretty tight, you know, depending from Bebe Nanki being the foremost one, recognizing his uh, divinity to conversations with the rulers, the experts, the pandits and the Qazis and companionship with Pai Mardana. Great, thank you so much for that. And also moving the conversation more into the significance of Guru Baba Nanak in Sikhism, if you can also elaborate on that, please. Oh, absolutely. So he is the founder. He is the founder of Sikhi. Uh, That's the word Sikhs prefer to use instead of Sikhism. Um, he's the founder of the faith. He's the one who connected us with the one and not with himself. And this is a major differentiation with and maybe even a departure from major world traditions and religions and faith systems. So he's connecting us with what we call Shabbat, which is infinite wisdom. Uh, it is He's connecting us with the expanse of the Sabbath, which literally is a combination of the word and the sound. So how we enunciate certain things and how we have knowledges of certain ideas, but not just any idea or philosophy or mystery, but one which is infinite and which is perfect. So Guru Nanak is in that sense, the founder of the faith, but not central to Sikhs even today, because he said, my guru, which means his teacher, his master, his prophet, the perfect genius which existed for Gunanak was of the Sabbath. This is very, very important, which means for Sikhs even today, Sabbath is what matters most, which essentially is the wisdom, infinite wisdom, the perfect genius contained within the, the Barnis or the traditions which we have been captured, uh, the scriptural traditions or the manifestos as we call them today, called Guru Granth Sahib. The other thing to keep in mind about the significance of Guru Nanak is, although the popular phrase as uh, Mr. Ahmed, as you used is Guru Baba Nanak, uh, the phrase which is used in our tradition, including in the documented uh, proofs and evidences in Guru Granth Sahib, which is where the Bani is, the Shabab is, the word used is that he did not start a new religion. He started a new Raj. Raj is an indigenous word in South Asia, which means something which is at minimum governance and at the highest level, it means the rule. So this was not a starting of another religion with a lowercase r. This was a starting of a new system, new rule. And this is very, very important because when you think of Raj, it's a very political word. Well, you know, because the word British Raj may come to people's mind. But when Sikhs today use this, or those who are studying Sikhs are using the word religion, they're actually creating this uh, sort of a dichotomy between the religion, religious and the political, whereas Guru Nanak is both. And this is very, very important. And one way we know that is uh, because this is the word which was used within our scriptural traditions. And the way he selected the next in line, the next Guru Sahib, as we call him, uh, it was also based on only one criteria, the one who is equally graced with the divine virtues. And the word used for them even today is Satcha the true sovereign, or Mahalla, which means the embodiment of the divine. So significance of Guru Nanak is that he's a founder of the faith who connected uh, all seekers to the infinite wisdom. The term is Sabad. And he did not start just a new religion, he started a new Raj, and the next in line was selected while he was alive, so there would be no disputes, and that leadership criteria was based on divine virtues. 
Thank you for that. That's uh, very interesting. Um, also, if you can also explain, how does a daily routine uh, in, involve for someone from who is from Sikh, uh, Sikh faith um, look like in relation to the teachings of Guru Nanak? Oh, absolutely. So one of the things which comes to the routine is that there were 10 gurus. So Guru Nanak was first, the founder, and there were 10 in line. We call them the 10 sovereigns or the 10 guru sahibs. And the routine gets, obviously, there is a expanse and the development in between 1469 to 1708, when the last uh, of the guru sahibs lived uh, or departed this earth, rather. On, during that time, which started from the time of Guru Nanak, there has been exact same ideal. And the ideal was, if I may present it at two levels, which is how it's even captured in, uh, in the articulations in 20th century, and even in English, in terms of what the code of conduct of six are. So first part is the personal connection with the one, with the Ikkovankar. That's the phrase Guru Nanak used. This was his unique contribution, or rather declaration. That's the phrase he used called Ikkovankar which literally actually means there is only one force, the force which is creative and pervasive. So as a routine, each seeker who identifies with Guru Nanak, be it Sikh or a non-Sikh, be it religious or non-religious, they personally connect with that force, which is not equivalent to Judeo-Christian heritage of the word God, but it includes that idea, but it is not exclusive to that because the word God is not used here. The word uses Omkar, which is the creative and the pervasive force. So living in intimate remembrance of a Koankar, of the force, of the one force, not just a Sunday worship or a daily ritual, that's one personal thing each seeker does who identifies with Guru Nanak. And as an extension of that, there's a public connection with the one. And that public connection comes by serving selflessly to end, uh, serving anyone and everyone who reminds us as an embodiment of the creation and creator in this world, which essentially is that in Sikh faith, according to Guru Nanak, there is no separation between the creator and the creation. So to serve the creator is to serve the creation. So the two ideas are uh, living in intimate remembrance of the one force, the Kuvankar, and as a reminder and extension of that, to serve selflessly all without zero discrimination, all in creation, and that is to serve the Creator. Thank you. And also I wanted to ask you, especially with regards to this particular month, uh, within the Sikh faith, what is it that is celebrated, if you can also elaborate on that? Sure. Um, traditionally, it marks the arrival of Guru Nanak on this earth. Um, which would be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, at Nankanasa, that's the today's mm -hmm. name. Uh, yes. At the time, it was called Rai Poedi Talwandi in the Western Punjab in Pakistan. So that's what Sikhs are doing. Now, largely, though, which I do want to mention, uh, we don't have an idea of celebration of birth. That's the term which is being used in English these days. The mm -hmm. indigenous term, or the term Sikhs use, is Prakashpuru. And I want to explain that a little bit because Prakash actually means illumination and Purub means the day. So marking the illumination day, which means the life and death is not as important to the six as articulated by Guru Nanak himself. 
what is most important is the illumination the wisdom you know the shabad which he shared with us which means you know what is the paradigm and how do i make that paradigm personal and how do i connect to the one as i described earlier uh, at a personal capacity and then serving the one in public capacity so marking of that is a reminder to all six and non six who celebrate guru nanak to focus really on the prakash the illumination the wisdom not the birth itself and and so on this particular day um how do you how do you uh, remember the day do you look at the qualities of guru nanak of what he did throughout his life how how do you celebrate this particular day that's right so it's like any other celebration there are varieties of it the number one thing which matters as a reminder is as i said the prakash the wisdom which means we sing those shabads we sing his wisdom and this is very very important in sikh tradition from guru nanak himself who's uh because uh, the bai mardana who i referenced earlier he was a musician and they sang together so singing the wisdom is how we really mark this day mm-hmm. now in addition to that uh there are historical narratives exhibitions serving langars which is a free distribution of food primarily but in the uh in the last 554 years now which is the journey of guru nanak on this earth so far uh it has gone on to take other shapes you know some people offer uh services in terms of to like in us and canada and uk you might see it not just being food it might be some immigration services to providing whatever else it might mean so mm. people market in their own way the idea is to distribute you know so distribution is not just of the food which is what gets marked the most because we must realize that hunger is still a problem and gurunanak yes. dealt with that even at his time but it is beyond just the physical food the idea is really distribution uh, distribution is for physical sustenance distribution is for emotional or mental sustenance uh, and distribution is also for intellectual sustenance but many of the things these now from immigration rights to human rights to civil rights so people are distributing their intellect and their uh, uh wealth in those areas as well fantastic thank you so much um just one last question before we do let you go and this itself is a very um long question as in it is a very long question but if you can briefly explain what was the mission of guru nanak and how did this start how was it initiated sure uh the mission as articulated in guru granth sahib which again is the scriptural canon of the six which means this is where we have the most authentic accounts of guru nanak and it is free from mythological hazes you know because those do develop over time as well uh, so this is sort of like a manifesto or the charter for the six in guru granth sahib it actually has a very clear answer on this it says the mission of guru nanak was ik naam taram the principle of one identification which means identifying with the one this was what guru nanak came on this earth for and this is how he got rid of the darkness or the ignorance so how, how did he do this well he did it by personally experiencing the ekankar first experiencing the naam he did it through interfaith dialogues with both hindus and muslims 
from Saudi Arabia to Sri Lanka. He did this by establishing the Sikh Center at Kartarpur, which is the city he founded, so these new policies for the new paradigm can create a new reality in a new community, which is what the Sikhs call Panth, the collective that follows the way of the Nanak, of Guru Nanak Sahib. So this was the mission. The mission was essentially, if I may put it in today's paradigm, it is what I like to explain as being, it was a love and justice paradigm. It is where the spiritual and the political were not two separate things, but they came together as one. This is not where you're talking about only principles, but you're also setting up systems of governance and rule as well. And one incident I can cite in that is, uh, in 1526, in his reality, uh, there is a genocidal campaign in, uh, uh, conducted by, in Sadhpur, which is again in Punjab and Pakistan side today, where Mughal Emperor Babur, this happened in 1526. Mm. Guru Nanak is the only one who is giving voice to the genocidal campaign at that time. He's documenting all the violations in his Shabbats, which are in Guru Granth Sahib, especially all the violence against women, both Hindu women and Muslim women. And within Hindu women, he especially also documents the violations against women of the so-called low caste as well, because nobody would document that. So he organized the resistance voices uh, infused with one nav, this idea of a Kuankar and force, while he was jailed, because he was jailed for voicing it. So this is the real Guru Nanak, which is way beyond the contemporary art or the poster arts. The real Guru Nanak is where lovingly dealing with each and every single person on this earth as being a divine individual. So today, last week, we crossed 8 billion people. Today, that means Guru Nanak believed every single individual, regardless of their gender, their background, their religiosity is divine. And then fighting for their rights and giving voice to the most disenfranchised. That's the real Guru Nanak. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Harinder Singh. On this particular subject, you've explained it very beautifully and I've really enjoyed this interview. So thank you so much for coming on the Voice of Islam radio station and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you. Anytime. My pleasure. Right, that was a fascinating interview uh, conducted by Imam Thakir of Harinder uh, Singh. Imam Thakir, anything that you want to add or uh, you want to say about uh, the Islamic angle then? Yes, um, so <clears throat> now the rest of the show, uh, you know, from the, for this segment, we're going to be looking at the Islamic perspective on uh, Guru Bhavanak. And it is a very interesting as well. Uh, we're going to be listening to a clip of the fourth caliph later on uh, from Azim Zatahir Ahmed on uh, was the founder of Sikhism, was he a Muslim? So we'll be listening to that. Uh, but uh, the the Islamic perspective of the, the, the view of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is that um, according to one source, ba Baba Nanak, he was born in 1469 AD and according to another source, uh, he was uh, born in 900 AD and apparently Baba Nanak's parents, they were Hindus of the Katri and uh, Kustri caste. And uh, Baba Nanak's father, Bhai Kalu, and his father, Sabha, had both pledged allegiance to a Muslim saint. And uh, Hazrat Shah Shams uh, Tabrez, uh, therefore, even at birth, Baba Nanak had a affiliation with Islam. And his birthplace was Talwandi, which later came on to be known as Nan Nankana Sahib. Uh, 
as mentioned by our brother as well uh, that he was born in Ankanasa which is now in Pakistan and it's it is about uh, 40 miles from Lahore um, and at that time this town was governed by a nobleman known as Rai Bular of Hindu descent who converted to Islam and in that village Baba Nanak he spent his childhood and early manhood as a young man and Nana na, Nanak, he found that Hindus had gone astray from their religious teachings and also Muslims did not uh, generally abide by their faith and therefore Baba Nanak, he strived to bring Hindus and Muslims together and make them live in a peace and harmony and it is uh, def definite that Baba Nanak, he moved away from the teachings of the Hindu Vedas and came closer to the teachings of the Holy Quran and it is evident from the life of Baba Nanak that like a good Muslim he recited the Holy Quran and he observed the five daily obligatory prayers and he also rendered some of the verses of the Holy Quran into Punjabi language which formed part of the Granth Sahib and Holy Scriptures of Sikhs and it is said that the actual compilation of Granth Sahib it took place during the time of Guru Arjan, the fifth successor of Baba Nanak. So, I mean, it's very interesting, um, you know, looking at the Islamic perspective on this as well. And uh, I would also urge our listeners as well, if they do want to learn more, then please do especially read the book of the Promised Messiah on this as well. No, it is called Sat Bachan, the, the True Words. And in this book, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he explains that uh, Guru Baba Nanak, he was actually a Muslim and he looks into the whole research aspect that uh, you know Guru Baba Nanak, he actually performed Hajj twice and uh, also you have the, the Chola, the cloak which Guru Baba Nanak wrote and the promised Messiah peace be upon him and his companions uh, they went to go see this this Chola and uh, so this chola itself had various fabrics laid onto it and when they were removed the promised messiah peace be upon him he said himself with, with the testimony of his companion say and it, it is recorded as well there is a picture uh, of the whole writings um, and it has various verses of the holy quran uh, so it's it's very interesting artifact, and we'll we'll be discussing this into more detail. Imam Preet, if you do want to add anything, please go. Yes, ahead. coming back to this point, that uh, it says in the book Satbachan, written by the Prophet Messiah, it says that <coughs> this uh, chola or this cloak is situated in the Dera Nanak uh, district of Gurdaspur, Punjab, in India, and it says that it's in the house of Kabilimal who was the you can say from the ascendant from the descendants of this Hazrat uh, uh, Baba Guru Nanak's family, and furthermore he says that it's very sacred for these six, and he says that he along with some of his companions they actually went in person to you can say to observe and to look at what the it's written on the the chola of uh, Baba Guru Nanak, and he says that there were around three hundred or so covers a rumal as they say in Urdu you can say wrapped around it to just to commemorate and this is the way the Sikhs do it so in order to you can say show their love and affection they cover it 
and they said that it took us quite a while to remove all the 300 because we needed to see what's written on the actual thing and he says that it was it happened this incident took place in 1895 where they went to see that and furthermore he says that um, some of the you can say the, fab the fabrics which were placed on it they had some sort of a sign or something which could show that which ruler or which person had given them, donated them so this is also another very good thing and the other the most important thing is that he says that I've seen myself that there have been verses of the Holy Quran written on this chola and uh, he he drew it and then he he asked some of the companions as well just to quickly write down all the stuff which is written on it because the reason is they had limited time so they said that it's not open to everyone so they had to go through a lot to just to get the permission to look at this chola and when they got the permission they used it to the full extent and they wrote down each and everything which was written on that chola and, and uh, yep a lot of verses I'm not going to read them but this is uh, very important that our founder he went himself just to mm -hmm. you can say visit the place okay now thanks very much anyway we'll be continuing with this uh, particular subject after the eight o'clock news which beckons uh, we'll be also talking about the remembrance today so don't go away stay with us you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab and via the internet 24 hours a day Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Peace be upon you and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined uh, by myself, Tukir Ahmed and Imam Farid here in the Voice of Islam studios and we are discussing the topic on Guru Baba Nanak. Um, and uh, I mean, this is a very interesting topic that we are discussing, uh, looking at the life of Guru Baba Nanak. And, you know, 8th of November is a day uh, which is celebrated within the Sikh community as this is known as the festival of Guru Nanak uh, Jayanti and this, this is celebrated every year on the full moon date of the Kartik month um, and uh, you know this is, this is hence we're discussing this uh, particular item in on voice of islam and we're we're looking at what does this what does what is the view of the Amdiya muslim community on on uh, sikhism and uh, the, the life of guru baba nanak um, and that's what we're looking at. And uh, to further our discussion, we have a clip um, of of His Holiness the Fourth Caliph, Azam um, Zatahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him. On uh, he answers the question on was the founder of of Sikhism was he a Muslim? And he gives his answer to this. So listen, let's listen into this answer. The next question is Mrs. Navinda Bogal. Right. Most welcome. Huzur. Yes. Assalamu alaikum wa, wa rahmatullah wa barakatahu. My name is Navindrajit Pogal. Mm -hmm. I am a strict follower of uh, Sikhism, which was profounded by Shri Guru Nanak Dev Ji. I am quite satisfied by the teaching of Guru Granth Sahib, but as I hear or as I heard from the members of your sect or as I have read some of the literature uh, you say that he was a Muslim as well. Can your holiness put some comprehensive light on this please? Sure, I will. <coughs> you see the question about Hazrat Guru Baba Nanak's faith 
it can be answered from different angles. And uh, because it's an issue which sometimes is raised to stir hatred among Sikhs against those who hold this view. So it is very essential for me to speak at some length on this issue. To begin with, I should like to draw the attention of all Sikh brothers or sisters that when you claim somebody to be belonging to your faith, it is not an insult. It's in fact an honor. It means that you love that person so much, you revere him, that you would rather have him among you rather than against you and outside your pale. So I don't know how somebody's sensibilities are hurt if it is claimed that Guru Baba Nanak Sahib was also one of the Muslims. The point is, what ugly image does it bring to the minds of the Sikhs if we claim this? If they, if they see Islam in the right perspective of the Quranic teaching, then there is nothing insulting about this. If you see the Muslims as they present their own image in the modern times, and that image is always different image in respect to the countries or the sects those Muslims belong to, then perhaps the eyebrows might be, might be raised. What do you mean? Guru Baba Nanak was like a Khomeini or likes this and like that, or a Libyan or a Kazafi. Now, these things have to be sorted out first. Islam is neither Iranian Islam, nor Pakistan Islam, nor Saudi Islam. Islam is the one Islam presented by the Holy Quran and demonstrated by the Holy Prophet himself. And that Islam is beautiful. If somebody relates anybody to that Islam, it's an honor. It's not a disgrace. The reason why Ahmadiyya took this up, especially and pronounced it loudly is also a reason which should be sympathetically understood by the Sikhs. Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa وسلم, the founder of Islam, is believed to be the final prophet who was a law-bearer. By all Muslims, there is not a single exception to that. He is the last law-bearing prophet. And whoever comes after that and brings a new law, what should be his position in the sight of the Muslims? He had to be treated as an imposter. So that was the dilemma which was faced by Muslims and is still faced by Muslims. Maybe out of courtesy, those who do not believe him to be a Muslim, they don't say anything, any harsh words, because others also do not speak harshly of Muhammad Wasallam, despite the fact that according to their own accepted principles, he has to be treated as an imposter. If not, then all the Jews and all the Christians would become Muslims, and also all the other ones. So they are not in any manner rejecting him openly in so many words or declaring him to be an imposter is out of decency not out of their religious beliefs. Now, in this situation, all the rest of the Muslims except Ahmadiyya community 
are showing decency when they do not abuse Hazrat Guru Baba Nanak as an imposter. In Ahmadiyya, position is a completely different issue. The founder of the Ahmadiyya community said that Guru Baba Nanak, I am told by Allah, was a holy man and as such he must be revered. Anyone who speaks any word in dishonor of Guru Baba Nanak will be cast out of those who fear Allah. And he based this claim on some evidence found in the Sikh literature and Sikh traditions. First of all, he pointed out that all the Sikhs agree without a shadow of doubt that Hazrat Guru Baba Nanak used to say prayer like Muslims. All the Sikhs agree that he also went to Khana Kaaba for performing Hajj. All the Sikhs agree that his first Murshid was a Muslim saint near Nankana Sahib in Shekhupura, Pakistan. And again, all of them believe that a large number of his followers were drawn from the Muslim faith and Bhai Mardana, for instance, is one of the leading figures. And they lived in perfect peace with each other, those drawn from the Hindu faith and those from the Muslim faith. And the most important historical evidence in favor of this claim is that although you know Muslims are extremely sensitive of the last few hundred years at least, have become extremely sensitive to anybody who renegades and changes his faith to some other faith. Not a single Muslim who followed Hazrat Guru Bhavanana was either abused or stoned or put to death or even we do not hear a single mullah giving this verdict that those, whoever follows Hazrat Guru Baba Nanak would be cast out of Islam. Well, if he had invented a new faith or if God had revealed to him a completely new faith, then this should have been the logical outcome. Now, this is of vital importance because when you read this in conjunction with whatever Guru Baba Nanak did and the way he uh, maintained a position, a conciliatory position between the Hindu converts and the Muslim converts, then you come to understand that he was a mystic, a great saint who was one of the mystics in Islam. In Islam because he took up the kajal against idolatry, idolatry and condemned those roundly without chewing his words who believed in gods other than one god. This was his mission. So if at all he could be placed in any religion, Islam would be the fittest. Certainly he didn't belong to Hinduism, Hinduism. or he should have said, yes, you may worship that deity or that deity, but he never said, he raised his voice very strongly and positively, condemn, condemning all sorts of idolatry. Now again, he wore a chola 
all his life, till his death. And that chola is still preserved in Dera Baba Nanak, not very far from Qadiyan, in district Husharpur, just across the river. And Hazrat Masih Maudalai the founder of the Ahmadiyya community it was, who for the first time, having been divinely guided, declared that that chola has some inscriptions on it, and those inscriptions are entirely either from the verses of the Quran or repetition of Kalima La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. For this purpose, he sent a team of Ahmadis who requested the elders of the of the family which was the custodian of that chola, who still have very close relationship with them. But at that time, they agreed to have this chola displayed and pictures taken. Ever since, our literature is showing those writings, not in the photo photographic form, but in the form of copy from that and the hand-drawn images of the chola with those inscriptions. Now, it is a credit to the Sikh clergy uh, that they have not denied it, not even once. Although they say we don't, under, we don't accept the argument that because he wore this chola, so he had to be Muslim, that's a separate issue. But they never, never denied even once that this is wrong, this is a false allegation. Now, when I went to Qadiyan about two, three, two and a half years ago, maybe, then I also sent a team to Guru Baba Nanak, and some of the members were from England. They took, with the permission of the noble family who were in charge, some pictures, still pictures, as well as video. And we are in possession of that. You can clearly see, read, even although, even the, for the fact that some of the writings are a bit, uh, you know, smudgy and not obliterated, but do not have the same quality as it, they, they held previously. But they are readable. So anybody who is interested can see. Alhamdulillah, Surah Fatiha is written over there. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah is there. And no verse of any other book is mentioned at all. So those who believe that he mixed religions, like Akbar attempted to do, he took some things from Hinduism, something from Islam, and as such he molded a new religion, that Chola stands witness against them. There is nothing but Islam mentioned on the Chola. So these are the reasons why we believe that Sikhism is a continuity of Islam, a sect in Islam, which was a Sufi sect, but unfortunately, because of the political fights with the so-called Muslim government of the time, they were thrown apart. And more they went into the political fights for the uh, supremacy in Punjab against the Mughal Empire, the more they, were drif they started drifting away from the faith of Islam until they began to hate it. So that was a um, short clip um, of His Holiness uh, Azam Zatai Ramad, may Allah have mercy on him. 
uh, on the question of uh, was the founder of Sikhism, was he a Muslim? And he gave a very beautiful answer um, that, you know, if you study the life of the of Guru Bhavananak, you know, or, and uh, all uh, Sikh people from Sikh community, they agree to the fact that, you know, he also used to pray like the Muslims do pray. And uh, he also performed Hajj twice in his life. And uh, also uh, one of his, um, you know, one one of his uh, people that he followed uh, early in his life was um, Sheikh Farid, um, who himself was a Muslim. And uh, and that uh, the fourth caliph furthermore mentioned regarding the cloak, uh, which is located in Hoshiarpur, that uh, some of the inscriptions which have been written on it, such as it says La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Surah Fatah is mentioned on it, and no other text from other scripture is mentioned on it except uh, the the you know except Islam. And uh, it is well known that uh, Baba Nanak he wore this chola, he wore this cloak throughout his life. Um, Imam Farid, uh, you want to shed shed some light on this? Oh yeah, I just came across the news which. Uh, I thought I should mention it that back a few years back the Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan he opened the borders to the Sikhs and this move was highly regarded by the and highly praised by the Sikhs in India and the, the reason is that uh, the Sikhs they used to come for every year for sort of a pilgrimage if you want to call it into the place near Lahore this Gurdwara and they had problems prior to that. So in 2019, he he said that he he was op- he was going to open the border, so it's going to be easy access to the Sikhs. And the news which I have in front of me is that Pakistan is set to open a new dedicated border crossing with the rival India on Saturday, giving the Indian Sikhs uh, pilgrims here round free visa and access to their holiest shrines in uh, Pakistan. Now the temple or the Gurdwara in the town of uh, Kartarpur in Punjab province is about four kilometers from the border with India and it is believed to have been built on the site where the founder of Sikhism, Guru Nanak uh, Sahib, died in 16th century. Now the Indian Pakistani, Pakistan have signed an agreement to, you can say, facilitate the Indian devotees attending to visit this shrine, the Gurdwara Darbar Sahib in Kartarpur, and as many as 5,000 Sikh pilgrims will be allowed to visit this uh, place. And furthermore, it says that the Imran Khan also is planned to, you can say, go and inaugurate this event. So this is the news which I had to say and plus uh, we've seen the after effects of it as well that a lot of uh, Sikh celebrities from India they went to Pakistan just to visit uh, the, the this place in Lahore and plus they ha- had a chance to visit the you can say the the place of the birth of their forefathers so they said that they were from the Pakistani side of the border but obviously and after the partition they had to move to India for some reason so very emotional that they had a chance to see the place where they actually belong so this is what I had to say absolutely and you know what's interesting is that if you look at other writers on this particular subject uh, you will find that they have also uh, They've also written 
that uh, you know Baba Nanak he also uh, you know he associated with Islam and he had a very strong connection with it and one such writer is Thomas Patrick Hughes who was a British missionary and he worked in India from 1865 to 1884 and he wrote many books throughout his life including the dictionary of Islam wherein he added an article known uh, an article about Sikhism and the reason offered by him for adding an article about Sikhism in a book about Islam he himself he says that it is enough for the purpose purposes of this article to have established the fact that Sikhism in its inception was intimately associated with Muhammadanism meaning Islam and that it was intended as as a means of bridging the gulf which separated the Hindus from the believers in the prophet and what's interesting is that the promised messiah peace be upon him the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community Hazrat Ghulam Ahmed he also uh, mentioned the work of Hughes um, of Reverend Hughes in his book in Sat Bachchan the true word as i was mentioning that this is the book sat bachchan um i would encourage our listeners as well that uh, they they do read this uh, however this is only available in urdu as as of yet i don't i don't think yeah, it is i don't think it's it been translated yet but I, i'm not sure yeah but i didn't find it that's the thing but uh, one one uh, pre- uh, uh, re- referencing uh, reverend hughes the promised messiah peace be upon him he says in this book in sat bachchan he says that as some papers run by Sikhs spread this misconception that this book was written with some bad intention or to hurt the feelings therefore it is pertinent to state that this book is written with all the good intentions and after thorough research the basic aim of this book is to highlight his great pity and spiritualism and he completely separated himself from hindu vedas He found that the god presented by Islam sparkles with majesty, power, holiness and is omnipotent and it is because of his great pity that he declared his belief in Islam. That is because we stated that those uh, cognate reasons and proofs of his belief the views was also supported by many British scholars. This is the reason that we have included in this book extract of the book Dictionary of Islam. uh from pages of 583 to 591 by Reverend Hughes which clearly state that Guru Baba Nanak he converted to Islam uh so that was from Sat Bachchan and uh, also Reverend Hughes he also describes that the uh, intimate and close relationship of Guru Nanak with the uh, Sheikh Farid that lasted for 12 years and sometimes uh, this sheikh farid is mistaken as baba sheikh farid uh, shakar ganj who passed who had passed away much earlier than uh, guru nanak so reverend hughes he writes that the most significant associate which nanak found was undoubtedly sheikh farid the strict muhammadan became the confidential uh, friend and companion of nanak and if all other traditions had failed this alone would have been enough to establish the eselitic e- character of early sikhism and the first greeting of these famous men is significant enough and uh, sheikh farid he explained that allah allah o darwesh 
meaning God, God, or the wish, to which uh, Baba Nanak, he replied that Allah is the object of all my efforts. O Farid, come, Sheikh Farid, Allah, Allah is only is over my object. So this, this is a reference uh, which uh, Reverend Hughes gives. Um, so, I mean, it's very interesting research here. Um, any, anything else, uh, Imam Farid, you, you want to add here? I just mm, wanted to give you an idea of why the six actually were those five, mm, you can say, famous things which uh, we sometimes see them. The So the, the, the term is called Khalsa. And it's the meaning is the pure and the sovereign, and it's a collective term given by the Guru Gobind Singh to those Sikhs who are fully initiated by taking a part in the ceremony called Amrit Sansar, uh, if the pronunciation is right. During this ceremony, sweetened water is stirred, water is stirred with double-edged sword while the the prayers are sung, and it's offered to the initiating Sikh who drinks it at the end of the ritual. And then he's formally, you can say, it's a bit like baptize, baptism, and it's, he's been baptized. And you can say, just to understand that. And uh, this, the first time it took place was on the Vesaki, which was, which was on the 30th of March, 1699, at Anandpur Sahib in Punjab. And if you talk about the, the five things which Sikhs were, that is, called as the the five k's in english or the panjgakke in you can say the punjabi at all times so the sikhs who are part of this you know the khalsa thing they have to wear these five things and these five things are that kesh one is uncut hair so we see them wearing turban so this is the reason why they wear it is they cannot cut their hair the second thing is kanga a small wooden comb and then is kara a circular steel or iron bracelet and then is kirpan sword or dagger and then is uh, kachera the special undergarment so these are the five things which they have to wear as per you can say uh, symbolic reason and other religious reasons as well so this is just a bit of information which i wanted to share about the five things so that, that is it from our first segment uh, on the life of Guru Baba Nanak. We do hope that you've enjoyed this particular segment. Uh, we're going to be taking a short break and after that we'll be coming into the new, uh, coming into our next item and we will be discussing uh, Remembrance Day. Uh, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. Allah, Allah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. God is the light of the heavens and the earth. Every light that is visible on the heights or in the valleys, whether in souls or in bodies, whether personal or impersonal, whether apparent or hidden, whether in the mind or outside it, is a bounty of His grace. This is an indication that the general grace of the Lord of the worlds envelops everything and nothing is deprived of that grace. He is the source of all grace, the ultimate cause of all lights and the fountainhead of all mercies. 
His being is the support of the universe and is the refuge of all high and low. He it is who brought everything out of the darkness of nothingness and bestowed upon everything the mantle of being. No other being than him is in himself present and eternal or is not the recipient of his grace. Earth and heaven, man and animals, stones and trees, souls and bodies have all come into existence by his grace. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Peace be upon you and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tukir Ahmed and Imam Freed here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And we're just discussing our second segment on Remembrance Day. But before we do get into it, if any of our listeners... Uh, do you want to call in or if they do have anything to say they can definitely uh, do so by calling us on 0208687 or they can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK uh, or to listen to any of our programs you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk and there you can find uh, links to various other programs uh, such as the Drive Time Show uh, various other programs uh, so do check that out as well uh, Imam Freed if you can please uh, go through the gist of this story please. Oh yeah, so the second, second topic we have today is the Remembrance Day of 2022. So the Remembrance Day events take place each year when the people across the UK honor those who have lost their lives at the war. In the, na- in the nation falls silent every Remembrance Day Sunday at 11 a.m. in tribute and millions of red poppies are sold each year in the build-up to this day. But when the Remembrance Day in 2022 uh, what is the histor- and so what is the historical and uh, significance of this day we're gonna find we're gonna find out today so the remembrance day will take place on Friday the November 11 as I say and the event commemorates the in- anniversary of the signing of the armistice in 1918 the World War two World War one sorry between the allies in Germany making the end of the first world war so the tradition date back to 1919 and was the first started by the King George V yeah so I mean this is a very interesting topic and Islam teaches that to love one's homeland is part of faith and in light of this uh, Muslims all around the world they serve their countries in many different ways and November the the 11th this marks Remembrance Day and as we commemorate those who fought in the Second World War in order to protect and preserve uh, our freedoms we also remember that many Muslims uh, also partook in this war and for Muslims not only is defending one's country an act of uh, patriotism but it also serves as an act of faith so Whenever you know the, we do have the Remembrance Day, um, that is why you'll see that within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, 
they too actively take part uh, throughout the country. Um, our elderly um, association, they actively take part in the Poppy Appeal and reason being is because uh, just as we remember all the soldiers, um, you know, the, a big part of it was also the Muslim soldiers as well that took place at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they should also be remembered. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that is something uh, which, which is of, of great honor to within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So uh, in terms of um, <coughs> importance of serving one's country, um, in his book, A World Crisis and the Pathway to Peace, His Holiness Sazamizam Suramit, may Allah be his helper, he, the current head of the Amdiyam Sunan community, he addresses the question of whether Muslims are allowed to join military forces of the Western countries and whether they can partake in military acts or attacks on Muslim countries. In regards to this, His Holiness, he said that uh, one underlining principle of Islam is that no person should assist in acts of cruelty. And this key command must always remain at the forefront of any Muslim's mind, where a Muslim country is attacked because it has itself acted in a cruel and unjust manner and took the first steps of aggression. Then in such circumstances, the, the Quran has instructed that Muslim governments, that they should stop the hand of the oppressor. And this means that they should stop the cruelty and endeavor to establish peace. Thus, in such circumstances, to take action as a means to end cruelty is permissible. And Muslims in those non-Muslim countries are allowed to join the armies of those non-Muslim countries and prevent the other country from cruelty. Whereas such circumstances, they truly exist and Muslim soldiers, uh, whichever uh, whichever uh, Western army uh, they may be part of must follow orders and fight if required in order to establish peace. If, however, a military takes a, makes a decision to attack another nation unjustly and thus becomes the oppressor, then, then a Muslim has an op option to leave the army because then he would be assisting cruelty. So that's a very beautiful answer, His Holiness gave uh, on on that particular question um, and he further he added that by taking this decision it would not mean that he is being a loyal disloyal to his country in fact in such circumstances loyalty to his country would demand that he should take such a step and counsel his own government that they should not allow themselves to fall to the same depths as those unjust governments and nations that act in a cruel way. Further says that if, however, joining the army is compulsory and there is no way to leave, but his conscience is not clear, then Muslims should leave the country, but cannot raise a voice against the law of the land. And he should leave because a Muslim is not permitted to leave, leave live in a country as a citizen, while it's at the same time acting against the nation or siding with the opposition. Um, furthermore, uh, you know, as we are looking at the topic on Remembrance Day, uh, you know, there there were not only uh, Muslims, but also uh, it is noted that uh, the Ahmadis also had taken part at that time. Um, and one such, uh, you know, person is uh, his name was uh, Mr. Muhammad Abdul. Huck MD and he also partook
at that time in in World War Two, and uh, this is an article from Review of Religion, um, and uh, you know the it talks about his his life uh, that uh, brother uh, Muhammad Abdul Haq Amdi that uh, he worked as a meteorologist um, for the Royal Air Force of the British Armed Forces and thus moved to Peshawar early in his life where he where he was where he was born in 1928 and he says that from 1922 to 1940 the Royal Air Force Peshawar station provided close support to army units which included the uh, Noshera Brigade and other regiments in the northwest frontier and the station meteorological section provided forecasting services for the operation staff. Uh, and it says that during World War II, the RAF Peshawar station supported uh, reconnaissance ground attack and bomber escort missions as well as air defense duties against the Imperial Japanese Army Air Service, uh, especially in Burma, until the Japanese surrender in February 1946. So it is written that as a meteorologist, he traveled with the RAF towards Burma front to support the RAF missions against the Imperial Japanese Army Air Service, whether, uh, whether and the knowledge of its effects on both fighters and bomber operations formed an important aspect of the success of the RAF operations throughout the war. And pilots and operation room staff needed to know how to cope with poor weather and perhaps particularly fog, which proved a particular hazardous weather type for returning uh, bomber crews. And, uh, and, and it further says that his, um, telling his story of, uh, of his accurate weather forecast Leading a remarkable, successful RAF mission, he had an officer so displayed on his house uh, that which he received as an award for his service in RAF <clears throat> on the front during World War Two. <clears throat> so this is just one of many uh, MDs who had taken part of, um, or who had taken part in World War Two at that time, <clears throat> and uh, you know the the. the just as we remember all other soldiers, Muslims should also be remembered that at that time that they actively took part um, as they were part of the Commonwealth countries at that time. And uh, just a little bit more on this into contributions uh, with this. It says that uh, it says that the regional coordinator uh, of the Amdiya Muslim community from the southwest of the UK has been supporting the poppy appeal since uh, he moved to UK from Pakistan in 2012, Brother Mirza. And it says that it gives us a great feeling that we were doing something very positive by standing with our armed forces. So the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association is the youth section of the Muslims Elders, elders Group um, of the Amdiya Muslim Association. And, the, um, and they are a set of Islam who believe in serving humanity and that's why the various groups are so passionate about supporting charities. Um, <clears throat> it says that on Saturday on the 12th of November uh, <clears throat> three um, three brothers from the Amni Muslim Youth Association um, along with the two other 
members, they took part in popular appeal that took place in Huddersfield Football Stadium where <clears throat> Huddersfield FC played against Swansea FC. And after a couple of hours, the poppy appeal, uh, some of the brothers had the pleasure uh, in watching their first ever football match along with the uh, with the um, the Muslim Youth Association. So <clears throat> some of these uh, news show that uh, how actively the um, the Muslim uh, Youth Association and also the Elders Association they are actively taking part in the poppy appeal throughout the country and similarly it says the Amdiya Muslim Elders Association of Carl Shulton, Cheem, Wallington and Sutton they were joined by MP of Carl Shulton and Wallington um, Elliot Colburn for the launch which they hope will be as successful as last year and this year members sold poppies door to door at local supermarkets and at major venues including tube stations and football stadiums across Greater London. And the com- campaign is once again linked to the Amdiya Muslim Elders Association UK charity work for F- peace where hundreds of thousands of pounds are raised for UK charities every year. Also, uh, it says that volunteers... So the, these are little snippets from various articles on how the Amdiya Muslim uh, you know, community is actively taking um, part in poppy appeal throughout the country. Similarly, another news uh, says that volunteers from the Ahmadiyya Muslim Elder Association in Barking, they launched this year's poppy appeal campaign at Barking Town Hall and the partnership with the Brit- Brit- Royal British Legion saw that the group raised over £600,000 last year at Westminster Liverpool Street stations. Um and at a, another newspaper from Milton Keynes, they write that young Muslims in Milton Keynes, they have raised thousands of pounds for the poppy appeal by holding collections at Morrison's in Westcroft. And members of the MD Muslim Youth Association have been working with the Royal British Legion for more than a decade to support the poppy appeal. So, you know, it just goes to show how important it is um, you know, to to serve mankind as well, and how a lot of these members of the Amdi Muslim community, they are actively taking part in this, and uh, this is in line with the teachings of Islam as well, that uh, we should help one another, we should support one another. I mean, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, he explains that there are two main fundamentals of the Sharia. One is that you should give due rights towards God Almighty, Hakukullah, and the second is that you should give due rights towards Hakukulebal, serving its creation. And uh, you know, within that, uh, so when it comes to serving, there's so many aspects within this. You can you can add. I mean, I I remember reading a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, the founder of of Islam and he says at one place that uh, on the day of judgment there will be a group of people that will stand before Allah the Almighty and uh, Allah the Almighty addressing this group of people he will say to them that uh, on, on this earth I was hungry and I was thirsty and you did not feed me and you did not quench my thirst and upon this the people they were this group of people that are being addressed they will inquire from Allah the Almighty oh God when was it that you were thirsty or you were hungry and we did not quench your thirst or we did not give you food and to this the Holy God Almighty will say that such and such person of mine 
was hungry and you did not give them food or they were thirsty and you did not quench their thirst. Had you fed them and you had looked after them, it would have been as if you had fed me and you had given uh, given me something to eat. So, so what this narration shows is how dear it is to, in the eyes of God Almighty, that uh, we should we should serve Him, and wherever we see that uh, someone's in need of help, as a Muslim, it is our duty to help one another. And similarly, within this narration, uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, he further says that then another group will also be in uh, will, will approach uh, God Almighty, and God Almighty will say to them that on on earth you. You know, he was hungry or he was thirsty and you had given him food and you had given him, uh, he, you had quenched his thirst. And that group being addressed, they will say that, when was it, O God Almighty, that you were on earth and we gave you food to eat and we gave you water to drink? And to this, God Almighty would reply that uh, such and such person of mine was hungry and they asked for food or they asked for, or, or they asked for water and you had quenched their thirst. You had given them food to eat. Um, and, you know, upon this, you know, God Almighty would be pleased with these particular people that had looked after the poor and, and helped them. And as I mentioned earlier, that this narration shows how dear it is in the eyes of God Almighty that, uh, you know, we should serve humanity itself. Um, and and uh, this is one main aspect of uh, within Islam as well, that we should serve mankind. Imam Fried, if you would like to add anything on this. Yeah, so as far as the charity collection is concerned, so the point here is that if the collecting charity, if it helps the people who are in need, so to me it's a brilliant move, and plus it's in line with the teachings of Islam, and as, as we know that Islam is a religion of peace and does not support any sort of cruelty and all that, and killing one person is like the killing of the entire humanity, as it says in the Holy Quran as well. And it says in the Holy Quran, furthermore, that be just even towards your enemies. So this is another brilliant teaching of the Holy Quran. And furthermore, the fact that um, the Muslims, they have uh, a Muslim, he has to follow the law of the land. So this is what are the basis of Islam. He cannot, uh, you can say, revolt against the government for without any reason. And the only exception that he has is that if any law is against the teaching of Islam, then obviously he's not going to follow that. But apart from that, he has to follow the rules and regulations of the country he resides in. And coming back to the the point of charity collecting, so charity collection is, to me, is a brilliant thing because it helps the community, it helps the people, and it helps uh, the people to understand the Muslims are part of the people living the Muslims living in UK are part of this country and they serve this country and they are for the welfare of this country and they're not they support this country in every way shape or form so this is what uh, I could say that the charity does really help bringing people together and it shows a good uh, good side of Muslims rather than the negative aspect that we normally here in the media and all that so this is what I had to say great thank you so much for that um, I mean you know at another place as well the, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he says that you know if you were to cook a dish known as broth um, which is a which is referring to an Arab dish at that time and he says that if you 
or to put more water in it and give some of that food to your neighbors, you know, that itself would be a great blessing in the eyes of Allah the Almighty. So emphasize it, this emphasizes the fact that, uh, you know, we, we should look after our neighbors as well. And within Islam, neighbor, it doesn't mean someone who lives right next to you, but rather um, this scope of being a neighbor, it exceeds uh, a lot further. And, and you know, His Holiness elaborated on this, that uh, it can also mean that uh, it can be, you know, uh, it, it doesn't have to be someone who's right next to you, but rather um, within a whole sphere, like, you know, uh, 10 kilometers, or he, he gives a specific figure that, you know, it doesn't have to be someone who's local, but even the distance may be far, they can still be your neighbors. So within Islam, it gives a huge emphasis on how we, as Muslim, we should we should serve mankind and we should help one another. So with that, uh, we'll conclude this particular segment. We do hope that you've enjoyed uh, this discussion today. Uh, we would like to thank uh, the producer Malia Abdullah for her for her work and uh, her team of researchers Salia Bakhtiar and Neha. Uh, for their for their hard work so thank you for your for your great effort and we would also like to thank our main guy the from the tech team um, Akib Annan for his hard work uh, so thank you so much to him as well and lastly to our listeners uh, for making this broadcast a great success thank you so much for tuning into Voice of Islam uh, we do hope that you've enjoyed the discussion today uh, until next time, from us here in the studio, Voice of Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessing of Allah the Almighty be upon you.